0: It's The Andy Thompson Show on ESPN 977.
1: The Porthole. 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 Two minute drill. Presented by Ideal Home and Auto Paint. Here's Robert's three quarter court. He, he buried it! And it's good! Mm hmm. All right, Larry, we've got Sambo asking the questions today, right? Yes. All right, Sambo. Been a while. We've missed you. One of our favorite interns. What do we got? Fire when ready.
0: Is the RPI wrong about anything right now?
1: <clears throat> I don't know. I think I think Dixie's now one by a fraction of a fraction of a fraction ahead of Leighton Christian. Time view six. Um after losing by 10 or so at the Thunderdome last time they played. Here's what I'll say: I think the most underrated team. In the RPI right now in Region I, might be Crimson Cliffs. Crimson Cliffs has lost three times to Dixie. They lost in a heartbreaker, buzzer beater to Snow Canyon last time in the jungle, but they've beaten everybody else. Now they have to go to Desert Hills. Desert Hills has not lost a region game at home this year. So that's going to be tough, and they've got to go to the pit. But they've beaten both of those teams at home by one point apiece. And the reason why I'm saying they're the most underrated, because I think they're like 13th right now in the RPI. And when you have a magnet player like Sean Feltz, who's going to attract a lot of attention, is going to be a mismatch against 90% of the teams they play this year, in-region, out-of-region, in the tournament. And you've got the type of perimeter defense that they can play. I I just think that they're better than the 13th-ranked team, in in the rpi i think they're going to go up now the problem is they got to play snow canyon at home but if they can get if they can win at home and then maybe split against pine view and desert hills who they both play on the road they'll climb up a little bit and beat everybody else they've already you know played dixie twice in region and once out of region so i think when i saw them 13th i know their record's right around 500 are they nine and eight overall I just think that they're better than that. And maybe Snow Canyon comes out and gets a big road victory and proves me wrong, but I've been impressed with with Crimson Cliffs' ability to win team-oriented basketball, whether it's Drake Carroll or it's Trevor Taylor in crunch time making big plays or Feltz scoring 35 points. And Feltz doesn't go to the free throw line a ton. Like, if you look at his, you know, his one against Hurricane where he scored 30-plus, and then the next game he scored 30-plus, and then against Dixie he scored 25. I don't think he went to the free-throw line. Those are all field goals. And he's making threes, and he's making, I mean, against Hurricane he had 19 field goals made. (laughs) So that's really impressive. Maybe he goes to the line a little bit more when the tournament starts. And they kind of force it to him down low a little bit but he's got such a versatile game where he can stretch you out larry he's a new age big he can shoot that corner three he can shoot the top of the key he can shoot the elbow really fun to watch so that's going to be a challenge for the bigs for snow canyon like campbell like onaloa tonight great matchup first time they played at snow canyon Maybe the best game of the year because Owen made that three. It was a true buzzer beater because they were down two. It wasn't a tie game you either. Do or die on that shot, and Snow Canyon did, and Owen made the three for the win. So that's a, that's a fun game. But I, I would probably say Crimson Cliffs, in my mind right now, might be the most underrated because they've won. Close. They're two and one in in one possession games in region. So, next question, Sambo, what do you got?
0: What team is most underrated? Yeah. What is Dixie's hardest game left on the schedule?
1: Hmm. Well, they've got basically half of the region's schedule left, right? Um, I would say it's tough because they get Pineview at home, and nobody's you know nobody wins at the hangar. But when I think about Pineview. It's like, what teams have the capability for two guys to combine for, like, 50 points? And Pineview is one of those teams. And it's going to take that type of effort to beat Dixie, especially in their place. And Pineview has shown that they can kitchen sink people on defense and do some stuff to disrupt what the other team likes to do. Dixie is so versatile and can just whip the ball around. And if you try to... Uh, Sandwich Lemke or whatever they can find an open three every possession, so that's tough. But that's a tough game. Then they're at Snow Canyon, where Matt maybe Mackie goes for forty and makes it. You know, makes a bunch of threes, and then they're at Desert Hills. So those are the three toughest. I, but I might say because I want to give you a straight answer, Larry. You want a straight answer, don't you? Yes. I probably go Pine View. Surprisingly, because it's in the hangar. But I probably go with the Griffin-Shepard-Schroeder combo where where Shepard makes five threes and Schroeder scores 28 points. And defensively, they do enough to water down the layup drill that Lemke can have in some games. Cam Smith gets physical. Condi's down there. I don't know. I'd probably lean, lean towards that because Snow Canyon, as a, as a talented team, but they don't have a second score score as good as what Pineview has and you could probably say the same about Desert Hills especially if Holman is out Um, so I'll probably go Pineview which might you know they're the sixth team in the RPI right now
0: who is the region MVP anything changed yet
1: well I think it's I think it's Lemke best player on the best team it's kind of a Stockton Malone thing they got working over there this year with the last couple years of the Flyers Malone always got top billing and so, yeah, it's Lemke. I think Mackey is close. I think Schroeder's close. I think um, Allred can get there, but I think it's Lemke's at this point. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna be favored to win out, go undefeated in region. And if that's the case, it's it's clearly got to be got to be Lemke. You have a problem with that, Larry? No. Didn't think so, my friend. Letter to the Sport Hole. You can write to the Sport Hole at 937-76. Thank you. Uh, letter to the Sport Hole. You can uh, mail us. 750 Ridgeview Drive. St. George, Utah, 84770. High above Bluff Street. Next to Paula's Restaurant. Which I never go to. You ever go to Paula's, Larry? No. I remember going there when I was maybe one of my, you know, 10 years ago or something. 15 years ago. Coming down to watch the Dixie College. Well, let's see. Probably the Dixie State Red Storm at that time. And we went to Paula's in eight. And then I haven't been back in 15 years. I need to go back. It's always filled up over there at lunchtime. It's always filled up. All right, this letter is from Dalton. Who's the best college basketball player in Utah this year? Had his man sealed.
0: Awesome. Before again, throwing it
1: down. That's his third 30-point game of the year as he goes over 30 again. Great Osibor was awesome again last night against San Jose. I was watching that game. Nobody goes into the spectrum and pushes those boys around. How about Utah State, Larry? Two losses on the year, tourney bound. I think Lenardi's got him as like a sixth seed at this point. The Mount West is kicking trash, first of all. And that's that's not necessarily my answer. I'm not necessarily going with Osborn, but the Mountain West is kicking trash, and you have to credit how they've gamed the system to where right now I think they've got six teams slated to go to the tournament, six. And you only have to go back five or six years when they were a one big conference. Some years where Nevada was the only team that went, or San Diego State. Now they're coming off a season where San Diego State was in the national title last year, Larry. So, uh, bless the Mount West Conference and bless that they did. They said, look, we're not gonna, we can't get these teams to come to Logan. We can't get these teams to come to the, to the show, the Vieja Center, or whatever in San Diego, we can't even get teams to come to Reno, big teams, net Top net teams, right? Quad one teams. So we are going to sign up for a million pre-conference tournaments with good quad one teams. And we're just going to beat them. We're going to play all these Pac-12 teams. And we're going to just beat the crap out of them. Their record against the Pac-12 is like 26 and like 11 or something this year. They're killing everybody. And so good for them for doing that, and good for them for, as a conference coming together and saying, we're not going to schedule a bunch of 300 net teams. We're going to go play in these tournaments, and that's going to raise up all of our nets, so when we lose in conference, it doesn't kill us, and Lunardi, Lunardi doesn't kick us out of his tournament. So they did a great job in scheduling as a conference. Um... I mean, Boise State is uh, uh, is a tournament team, and, and and it's it's one of these things where if you're a Utah State fan, you don't have to go win the tournament necessarily. You to keep up the pace. Good for sprinkle. So, who's the best basketball player in the state right now? First, let me talk about Osabor because what I love about Osabor is the Aggies work through him almost every possession. They don't just hug up a three. They go down to him, see if he can wheel on somebody, and then if he can, he kicks it out, and they might, you know, shoot. but they don't shoot a ton of threes. So I love the way that they play. I love that Osibor can get it and put it on the deck and drive, and he's just a big – I don't think he's an NBA guy. What the heck do I know? But he doesn't seem to have the – he's kind of a tweener because he's six eight. I don't know that he has the explosion – that you need to have to do what he's going to be asked to do in the NBA. Is he an NBA guy, Larry? I hope he is, but I don't think he's good enough. I mean, it really wasn't until this year where he became great. You know, he was good at Montana State, but now he's averaging a double-double and the best player. And... So maybe, maybe he'll get picked up or something. I don't know. But I love great Osabor. Probably a European player, though. But the best player in the state is Dylan Jones for Weaver State. Now, Osabor might be collegiately because his team's doing good and he's their best player, he might have been my answer. But you probably gotta go with Dylan Jones because if there were a draft and all the college teams were drafting, he would probably be the first pick, just like he will be an NBA pick. He's a borderline first-round pick in the NBA. And what's interesting about Dylan Jones is he's a weird guy. He's a weird player because he's he's a 6'6", 3", I guess, who doesn't dunk. He's got one dunk on the year. He's not a freak athlete. He's not an above-the-rim finisher. He's a great facilitator. He's got all these big, big sky records. Um, Only player in big sky history with a thousand points, a thousand rebounds, 300 assists and 150 steals. He'd probably be the first pick. Um, Brandon Carlson. Nah. Carlson put his toe in the water to be drafted last year. If you remember, they said, "Mm, come back next year. And he's fine, but he's at you know he's averaging 13 points, not a freak big, and doesn't he shoot like 34 percent from three? So he he might get drafted, and he just needs it to take Utah to the tournament, when a tournament game. But um, right now, Lenardi's got to use as a nine seed, I believe, Larry. Yes. Um. BYU's having a great year, but BYU has like 10 guys on the team that average double digits. So you'd you, you go with Robinson as their best player, but many games he's not their best player. With Hall and Johnson and Treori and Waterman is averaging double digits. All these guys. Trevor Nell, they're all double-digit guys. Five guys, literally five guys average 10 points or more for BYU. So they're kind of a team-oriented thing. Which is good and fun to watch, and all that stuff that we always talk about with BYU, Uh, Utah Tech, kind of similar. I think their leading scorer right now is Gonzales, who's averaging like 12 points a game. Christensen's right around 10 points. So if I were to pick one, I go with Jones. Even though Weber State's not great this year, it's close. I wanted to go with Asibor, but if there were a draft, Jones would be the first pick. Thank you, Lawrence. It's time for Change My Mind in the Sporthole. Ladies and gentlemen, you've all been waiting for. All right, this is uh, Change My Mind. Uh, let's see, Change My Mind. There's a lot of Utah high schools with generic names. And I'm talking about the high school names themselves, not the mascot names. No, I'm not going to change your mind, Larry. I agree, 100%. Now, we talk about mascots a lot. This is our top five list. We do this every Wednesday. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take these generic high school names that are something Canyon or something Mountain or something Ridge or whatever. Now, I'm not going to do St. George because that's too close to home. Those are like our children there. We love all the St. George schools. We love their names. <laughs> we're going to go outside of St. George and we're going to say, Look, you mail in your name. I want a name with some history. I want a name with some nutrients that has a little something to it, you know? About your area. Why are you naming yourself? Well, let's start with Green Canyon, Larry. That's number five. Number five. Green Canyon is a school up in Logan. They played in the state championship this year in football against their very own Crimson Cliffs, (laughs) which we love. Green Canyon is named Green Canyon. That's not good enough. You had a chance to name a school, you took the safe way out, and you named it Green Canyon, and they're the freaking wolves. So let's fix them, Larry. Here's what we're looking at a historical figure from Logan, Cache Valley. It's got a lot of history, a lot of winners to come out of that county who have done a lot of great things in the world. Now, the first one you go to is Merlin. Problem with Merlin is he's a famous Logan High alum. You You can't name a Grizzly. You can't name your school after a Grizz. You see what I'm saying, Larry? Nobody would go for that. We're not going with Merlin. We're going with Mariner Eccles. Born in Logan, 1890. I know there's a million things in Utah named after Eccles. Mariner Eccles is from Logan. He ran the, the he was like the, uh, the Alan Greenspan of his time. He went to D.C., was in charge of the whole American economy back in the day. And nobody knows who the heck he is or what he's done. So we're changing the Green Canyon Wolves to the Eccles High Bankers. Look, not everything has to be a ferocious beast, okay? Number four. Number four. We're going to Cedar Ridge High School in Richville. Double offensive because there's already a Cedar City High School. Anytime Cedar Ridge comes up or Cedar Valley, people think they're talking about Cedar City. There's one Cedar City. We already got a Cedar City, and they're the Cedar Reds. We don't need a bunch of other Cedars. So, Cedar Ridge is a cop out name, and Richfield has a lot of cool crap around it. They got all those parks around it, and they're kind of the gateway to all these different state national parks. And you know what they call that area? Panorama Land, Larry. The new name of Cedar Bridge is Panorama Land High. You look at the beauty, you're surrounded, there's a whole panorama of beauty around you, and you're copying Cedar City High School with your name. No, you're now Panorama Land High, and you're the fur traders. Thank you, Larry. Number three. Number three, we're going up to Orem. This was the toughest one because what is from Orem? I mean, what do you, maybe they, what they settled on was as good as we can do, but we're still going to try. What they went with is one of the worst generic names ever Mountain View High School. Now, it's one thing if you're Timpanogos or Timp View or Orem High itself, Who's named after the guy that founded the town you went with mountain view high now this was tough and so what we did was we went with another historical character mac elwin von Valkenberg larry he was an electrical engineer all this stuff wrote a bunch of books if you have a textbook about electrical engineering in your college. It was written by Mac Elwin von Valkenberg. He happens to be from, from Orem, Utah. We're going with... The von Valkenberg High Conductors. Conductors with double meaning because trains was a big deal in Orem at the time and the, the electric... You're a conductor of electricity, Larry. Not Look, I know it's horrible, but it's better than Mountain View. Alright, we got a couple more. Let's go with number two here. Number two. Corner Canyon and Draper. I know there is an actual corner canyon and it's not just Mountain View. But it's still horrible. Draper was known as the egg capital of the world. In World War II, our boys overseas were eating eggs. Well, maybe not overseas. <laughs> The boys training in the forts around the West were getting their protein from Draper, Utah. And it was the Washburn chicken coop who was producing all of these eggs that won us World War II. His name is Bruce. Bruce D. Washburn. We're going with this lame corner canyon. Washburn High Chickens. And I know you're saying nobody wants to be a chicken, so you put fighting in front of it. The fighting chickens from Washburn High. has a little history to it, Larry. Thank you. Let's go to number one. And at number one, Hillcrest High School. This is Midvale. I know you're in Midvale and nobody gives a crap, but when you fill out the form to make a new high school take longer than five minutes to come up with the name. Hillcrest High School. I don't even know what their mascot is. This one was hard, too. There's a man by the name of Don L. Lind, who's an American NASA astronaut. If you have an astronaut who's from your small, dinky town, there better dang well be a high school named after him. We're going with the Lind High Niners <laughs> Midvale was created in 1909 there's not enough Niners in high school sports the Lind High 9 ers I know these aren't great the point is they're better than the mailed in names that they previously had we're going to send these to the offices of the UHSAA and see if we can get some movement to change some of these crappy high schools Larry I think I didn't prove you wrong I proved you're right because yes. there's a lot of uh, high schools with crappy names in the Beehive State. Op-ed or op-meh? Good night and good luck. <clears throat> Thank you, Larry. There is a uh, op-ed, and I guess it's not really an op-ed, but... Um, ...that I read today about Caleb Williams. And there's a scout who's saying all of these idiots who are saying that it's a fait accompli... ...that Caleb Williams is the best pick... ...are idiots because he's shown so much immaturity and and erratic behavior and over-emotional... ...and he's writing F people on on his fingernails and he sucks with the media... ...and he wants to go home after a loss and curl up and watch Netflix with his puppy dog... And he's sobbing with his mom and stuff like that. And I'm not a Caleb Williams fan. We don't like Caleb Williams. I think he's great. I think he's the most talented guy in college football. But this reminds me of what I... Instead of these stupid, meaningless pro days where the kid's throwing on against air, this is what got the Jets, Zach Wilson. Remember, Zach Wilson did the rollout thing, and then he threw against his momentum 50 yards, and people were like, this is the greatest quarterback since Terry Bradshaw. That's how you get into these messes, is you fall for the the meaningless stuff at the pro days, or the stuff with the cones, or heaven forbid, the combine, or Mel Kiper with his hand measurements. That's how you get... um, Jamarcus Russell and Ryan Leaf and all of these busts is because you rely on these stupid measurements that have nothing to do. All these quarterbacks can do the same stuff. Caleb's a little bit better than Drake May. Um, but when you put him up with uh, Dan- uh, Jaden Daniels, what what can Caleb do that Jaden Daniels can't? So what separates them is what is... Um, What's uh, their mental capacity, their leadership stuff, and just their mental toughness and their hard work commitment? So here's what you do instead of doing a stupid pro day or combine. You put all the top 10 picks who are perceived to be top 10 picks, and maybe you just do quarterbacks and then some other guys. You need 10 people. You put them on an island. You get Jeff Probst. You put them on an island for 10 days. You have all the teams who want this intel, who have the top 10 picks, donate a million dollars. The winner gets 10 million bucks. And you make them do Survivor. You make them build things. You make them work as a team. They're doing competitions. There's a vote. You vote out people. The winner... You learn more about people's character in the first 30 minutes of watching Survivor. Who's the hard worker? Who's the complainer? Who's the leader? Who can communicate well? Who's going to go and curl up in the fetal position underneath, underneath the uh the tarp when it starts raining? That that information is so much more valuable than the fact that Caleb Williams's hand, uh, hand size is point Five centimeters longer than Drake Mays. But that's what we base who we're going to draft on. We talk to their coaches. Coaches all say the same crap. Figure out who this kid really is by putting him in a tough situation because that's what an NFL season is. And dealing with the media, the stress of all that stuff. Um, we saw it with Zach in New York. He was horrible with the media, and it took him until his third year to humble himself and actually be good with the media. So do the survivor thing. That's what I would do. Ten million bucks to the winner. Everybody contributes. That's the most valuable data you can get. Now, what these teams do is they mine the kid's social media, and they talk to his uh, high school coaches and his team. They talk to everybody. And they're trying to gauge what type of character he has. And will he mail it in? And will he watch film? Or will he be like Kyler Murray and not watch any film? Or is he going to be able to lead? And just put him on an island. Put a, put a bunch of cameras. Just have CBS produce it. Give them $10 million if they can win the 10-day challenge out in the wild. <clears throat> Johnny Manziel would have been out in night one. And then the Browns wouldn't have wasted their pick on it. Same with all these other losers. Thank you.
0: If you have one piece of advice to give Tom Brady about how to get into the broadcasting gig, what would you tell him? I think the best thing about Tony Romo when he started was he didn't come into this business trying to sound like anybody else. If I'm telling Tom Brady, uh, I I would just say be yourself. I, I don't get into this trying to sound like what you've heard over the years. Don't get into this trying to sound like whoever's helping you. You are a 7 times Super Bowl winner and the greatest to ever do what you do. You know the game. Don't over-prepare and see what you see and react with your gut on what you see. I think so many times people like that, they, they overdo it to the point where they're just paralyzed by so much information that kind of a, a nice, I don't want to say relaxed, but a wide-open mind just to, to see something and react to it. Will be much more compelling than any bit of research that he could have done that he's trying to bring into the game. Who is the best college basketball player in the state at this point in the season?
1: Thank you, Larry.
0: Do you agree with Joe Buck's advice to Tom?
1: I think it's great advice to Tom. Um that it is what made Romo good. Here's what I here's what I would do. If I had Tom Brady, the best quarterback ever, the best um one of the best mentally guys ever. And able to see things that nobody else could see and all that stuff. Here's what I would do. Instead of putting up putting him up on a booth in the booth, in a suit just next to the guy, um, I would have him look at the game from the sky cam behind the quarterback angle where you're seeing the quarterback and you're seeing what the quarterback's seeing, the one that's on the rope, that camera, and I would give him a pen and I would have him just, I would go to Tom and be like, okay, we're doing the the Cowboys-Eagles game this week. I want you to prepare as if you're Dak Prescott for the Eagles. And anytime the Cowboys are on offense, we're going to go to that mode and you're going to have that view, and you're going to say, okay, this line, that you're going to be circling people. You're going to say, this guy is showing this. he looks like he's coming, so I'm going to go to a quick bubble over here or whatever. He should be aud- audibling to a run. It's kind of the same. some of the same stuff that Romo's good at. It's the pre-snap stuff. What Collinsworth is good at is the analysis after the play. He's really quick at picking up something good almost every time to say this is why this play worked or this is why this one failed. But I think you you have access to Brady, one of the best quarterback minds. And I know that the Manning cast is kind of trying to do this too. The one difference I would spin for Brady is give him that camera angle in real time where he's the quarterback, he's looking at what the defense is doing in real time, and we can all see it too. It's not the side... Side view, it's really putting the audience in the quarterback's position with Brady and him saying, "Oh, look this this end over here is is uh, widened out a little bit more than normal on a second down or whatever. We should be checking, it, or these these safeties are creeping up, or they're they're going with the motion, or whatever. There's a million things that he can do, and I just like to see maybe not every dang play." But I'd like to go to Brady Vision several times throughout the game on big plays and put him and have him tell exactly what Dak should be doing on the play. This is what I saw in my film study all week long. I'm the quarterback. I'm Tom. Here's what I'm doing. I'm checking down to this player. I'm throwing a hitch over here. Look at the cushion. That would be interesting to watch. And Manning does a lot of that. But Manning also is distracted by a bunch of other crap. The guests and trying to be funny and all that stuff. I think Tom can go like Kobe used to do on that detail show on ESPN+. Plus. Those were fun to watch. And a part of that is because he could replay it a million times and show stuff. But it would be harder to do in real in real time for Tom. But I would do some of that. More of that stuff. Not just trying to predict the play or whatever like Romo does. Show us that angle. Let Tom go sick. I think that would be great. Aikman gives no specificity. He doesn't do anything with... It's just kind of general stuff after the play happens. Um... People love Greg Olson. I think he does a great job, and Tom kind of has big shoes to fill because they're getting rid of Olson to pay him $10 million a year or whatever. So I'd get a little bit more creative. Don't just treat Tom like some, like any other schmo. Do something special for him. you agree, Larry? Yes. Huh? Yes. All right. Life is happening for you, not to you. And if you keep
0: going, it will open. It's time for a Life Coach in the Sport Hole.
1: All right, here we go. Now, I'm speaking to the young, recently married uh, folks here. And you're, you're thinking about having a... Maybe you've been married for a minute. You're thinking about having a kid. Here's my Life Coach thing for you. When it comes to the middle name, go sick, go go for a grand slam on your middle name because here's what people do with the middle name: they defer to their wife, and their wife says May, or their wife says Anne, or their wife says whatever, because the wife wants the the middle name to kind of have a little sing songy ba 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 ba. Like, 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 it's got to be like uh, iambic pentameter. What, what she cares is like she's William Shakespeare. She wants to do the rhythm of it, uh, Bethany Ann or whatever the crap. And I'm saying, yeah, but that's it's kind of going back to the high school thing. This is a common theme. What you have with a middle name is a chant. It's like it's it's second and one. You have nothing to lose with the middle name. So it's second and one. Why are you running the ball? Why are you naming your kid some generic middle name? Go for the go for the gold. Go with the coolest whatever name you can think of that you wouldn't necessarily use for the for the first name. You have nothing to lose. On second and one you throw it deep because you can just run for it on, on third down. Go for the grand slam. That is my that's my life coach today, Larry. Your wife's going to want to say, no, I want something cutesy, and I want something that goes with the first name, and it's got to have the right rhythm. And to... No, 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 forget about rhythm. We're going to do a name. And by the way, it doesn't necessarily have to be, when people think of family names for naming their kid, they go back like four centuries and find some name of somebody they didn't know. What what I'm saying is do something, do something to somebody you know. Find the name of the grandpa's fine, because you knew grandpa. But find somebody, you know, maybe that you know a little bit better than the great-great great 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 grandpa. Let the let the let the great-great-great grandpa name his kid after the great-great-grandpa, because they they farm together. You see what I'm saying, Larry? Go for the gold on the middle names. Don't cop out with this, you know, you know, Anne or whatever. I'll get my Okay, uh, we got to wrap this up. What do you got? Happy, happy, happy. Happy birthday
0: to you. Happy birthday to you. With pinch batter Frank Keller at bat,
1: Robinson dashes for the plate. It's close, and umpire Summers calls him safe on the daring maneuver. But Yogi Berra doesn't think so. <laughs> Happy birthday, Jackie Roosevelt Robinson. By the way, that was the worst call of one of the greatest plays in the in World Series history. This is game one of the World Series when Jackie steals home. That couldn't have been the live call. I think that was in post-production they have some guy announce what happened to show on News of the World before people watch Gone with the Wind or something in movie theaters. That could not have been a live call. I mean, listen to this. With pinch batter Frank Keller did bat. Robinson dashes for the plate. How long he does it take him to get there? Umpire Summers calls him safe on the daring maneuver, but Yogi Berra doesn't think so. That's the worst call ever. Um, happy birthday to uh, the posthumous, obviously, but happy birthday to Jackie Robinson. One of the greatest um, Americans ever because he's playing. He serves in World War II. They don't treat him well. Um, he gets court-martialed. I didn't know this. Jackie Robinson does a Rosa Parks in the military. He's in the military. They have a deseg- desegregated bus in the military. And he rides the bus. They tell him, to, you got to go to the back. He says, go to hell. And they say, okay, you're court-martialed. How insane is that? Um, four-sport athlete at UCLA, Larry. Track, football. Jackie Robinson holds the all-time UCLA yards per carry mark for the Bruins. 12 yards per carry, Larry. 12. Also played basketball and obviously baseball and did track too. I think, in Westwood. So the great Jackie Robinson, um, six-time All-Star, won the World Series in 55, won the MVP in 49. Good job, Larry. Quick break. Back with uh, more right here on the Andy Thompson Show with Rustin Burnside.